2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. Humans are too quick to judge others, causing strife and bitterness. Jesus commands us in Matthew 7, 1-5 to be humble and to seek to help others with the spirit of grace and kindness. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Jesus demands unswerving loyalty to him and to his kingdom standards, and it is for our sake. Everyone knows who King David is. He began as a shepherd boy who could play the harp, took care of his dad's sheep. He was a boy that was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He was a young boy that while visiting his brothers and bringing food to his brothers, he heard the, the giant Goliath challenging God and challenging the armies of Israel. He was the slayer of, of giants. He was the man that was called a man after God's own heart. And he is the one that wrote over 70 psalms. Here's an amazing man. But here's what a lot of us don't like to talk about. He had sex with another man's wife, and he got her pregnant. Then, in order to cover up his sin, he calls the woman's husband home from battle. He is the king. He could do that. Uriah, come home and spend the evening with your wife. But Uriah, being a righteous man, being a man of high standards and a man of justice and fairness, says, how could I sleep with my wife when my comrades in arms don't get the same privilege? And he refused to sleep with his wife. Of course, he didn't know what had gone on. And so David, being frustrated and not knowing what else to do, he, being a clever king, decides that he will give a note to Uriah to bring back to General Joab. In that note was his death sentence. In that note, it says, put Uriah the Hittite on the front lines of battle so that he'll be the first one killed. Oh, David didn't say that, so he'll be the first one killed. But Joab would have understood that. Wow, how cold-blooded. Is this really a man after God's own heart? Well, Uriah does die in battle. And so David, in addition to being the king of Israel, the author of 70 Psalms, a man after God's own heart, is also a murderer and an adulterer. He murders Uriah by proxy. He gets somebody else to do it. David's clever. He's gotten away with murder and adultery. Or did he? Nathan, the prophet, came to David and said, David, let me tell you a story. There were two men in a small town, a very rich man 
and a poor man. The rich man had many sheep, all kinds of livestock. The poor man had one little lamb. It was a precious little lamb. The Bible describes this poor man as, as caring for that little lamb like it was his own daughter, feeding the little lamb from his own cup and at his own table and letting the little lamb cuddle with him. One day, the rich man had a guest. And rather than going to his own flock, he decided he was going to take the little lamb from the poor man, and he would slaughter that lamb and serve it to his guest. When David heard this, he was absolutely furious. He was livid. As surely as the Lord lives, that man deserves to die, said David. Oh, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And Nathan looked David right in the eye. He said, you're the man. You did that. You did it to Uriah. You took his only wife, his one and only beloved. You used him and then you put him to death. I want to read to you from Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Jesus says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get that, that little speck out of your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you'll be able to see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus begins chapter 7. Of course, there were no chapters and verses back then, but on this this third leg of, of the journey and the final leg of our journey. We begin with these words, do not judge others and you will not be judged. David didn't realize that he was the guilty man. He could clearly see the sin in others, but he could not see it in himself. And I want you to know today that this is the way it is with all humans. We so often are able to see the sin in other people's eyes, or in other people, but we cannot see it in ourselves. Look what Jesus says here. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, what does Jesus mean here? Well, this is one of the most quoted scripture verses in the Bible. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. But it is also one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. Many of us have a very negative idea of what judging is. Judging is necessary. Judging is good. This is how we deal with crime. This is how we deal with sin. But much of the confusion that people have concerning judging is because there is a number of ways that you can, in fact, interpret or translate that word krino in Greek, the word to judge. To judge may mean to discern. 
It may mean to judge judicially, as a judge would judge in a courtroom. It means to be uh, to, to condemn or just to be judgmental, having a judgmental spirit. Now, we know that in the Scripture, we are told more than once that we need to be, be discerning. That is, we need to judge. Later on in this chapter, in fact, you'll see that Jesus tells us to judge the, the prophets, and you'll be able to tell who is a good prophet and who is a bad prophet uh, based on the fruit that they produce. By their fruit, you shall know them. So Jesus tells us later on to judge. Um, we're told in the, in the New Testament in various places that judgment begins in the house of God, that we need, to, uh, we need to exercise church discipline, which is a form of judgment, so that Christians who call themselves, for instance, members of Cross Church just don't go do whatever they want. So judging is something that we're told to do. But, but in this context, Jesus is, is not saying don't be discerning. He's not saying uh, don't, don't discipline those who are out of line in the church. What he's saying here is don't have a judgmental spirit or a critical spirit. And this is something that we see all the time. This is something that we see in, uh, so often in Christians. Jesus certainly saw it in the Pharisees. In his day, Jesus called these Pharisees hypocrites because they were so judgmental of others and they didn't see their own sin. In fact, Jesus called these Pharisees blind men leading the blind. They, they were a judgmental, critical, hypocritical people. So here's what you need to know. God's standard of justice will, will never go away. And anybody who thinks that this is saying that, that God is some sort of a, a, a God that is so merciful that there's no judgment involved is totally ignorant of all the Scripture. And this is, by the way, why you have to read the whole Scripture. This is why you need to look at Scripture in context. You need to know what the full counsel of Scripture says. No, we, we do need to judge, but Jesus says we must not ever have a judgmental spirit, a judgmental attitude towards others. I had a couple once that got very angry with me, and they eventually left our church because they wanted to go to the mission field, but I had judged that they were not quite ready for it. I didn't say they would never be ready. I said they weren't ready at that moment. In fact, my wife and I were prepared to give them a generous donation for the day when they would go to the mission field. But their reaction to what I said to them was the proof that they were not ready to go. They got extremely angry, and they felt I was condemning them and judging them. I was not condemning them. I was not judging them with a critical spirit. What I was trying to say is you, you, I could see you going in the future, but not right now. It's this judgmental, critical spirit that Jesus is talking about here. And so I want to ask you a question before I go any further. Are you judging others, condemning others, trying to catch people in falling short, catching people in not measuring up to the Christian standard? Some people trying to make disciples and trying to help others grow in their faith. We'll, we'll try to single them out and humiliate them and embarrass them for not maybe measuring up 
This is not the way to make disciples. No, what we're called to do is to encourage one another, to build one another up. And we're necessary to speak into a person's life. But I'll talk more about that in just a few moments. First of all, let's be clear that we do not adopt a critical spirit. One of the wonderful things about, that I like to say about Cross Church is, is, that, is that we're a church full of, of people who are sinners, who fall short. We're a church full of people who are at times hypocritical. And we're, we're not a church that can, can condemn or judge anybody because there's nobody in this church that's perfect, including me. In fact, if anything, if, if, I've, if I've learned anything over the years, I've learned that I, like, like the Apostle Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. The spirit that Jesus is calling us to have is a spirit of humility, not a judgmental, critical spirit of others, but looking at ourselves. It's so easy, isn't it, to badmouth other people and to tell other people about the sins of of people in the church or the people outside of the church. It's so easy to stand in judgment. The problem with this is that you don't have that right. Why? Because you're not God. God alone is the judge. God alone is the one that can see into the heart of a human. You don't have that ability. I don't have that ability. Oh, I might be able to tell when I see, you know, fruit that's not consistent with a person's life. And in that case, I have to deal with that. But I can't go around trying to judge people's motives. I don't have that ability. One preacher said that when you and I stand in judgment of another Christian, of other human beings, it's blasphemous because we now are pretending or acting as though we were God. Only God is a judge. Only God can judge people's hearts. I can't judge your heart. You can't judge mine. Think about that. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. And if you do judge, the measure that you use will be used against you. It's a very sobering thought. So we do know that here in this passage, Jesus is talking about a judgmental or a critical spirit. This same verb, krino, is found with the identical meaning in Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It says, so Paul says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So you and I don't stand in judgment of others. That's God's business. And even, even God, in sending Jesus to us, Jesus tells us what? He says that God did not send me to condemn or to judge, but to save. How is it that even God, sending his son Jesus to this earth, doesn't go around condemning, and yet we as Christians too often will do that? The very thing that Jesus will not do. Wow. No, a judgmental attitude, it excludes us from God's pardon and mercy. And I don't know about you, but I desperately need God's pardon and mercy. 
Jesus calls this kind of activity hypocritical, like the Pharisees, the Pharisees who were so quick to condemn. In fact, these, these men called, called Pharisees, they loved to put on a show for the people. Look at me, look how much money I'm giving. Look at me, I'm fasting. Look at me, I'm praying. Listen to me, listen to my prayer. It's all for show. And Jesus says, you're hypocrites. You don't have that, that right to judge. No wonder Jesus called them snakes. Well, what is the opposite of a judgmental spirit? Well, in Matthew 5, 7, which we studied back in July, that's one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The opposite of a judgmental spirit is a merciful spirit. And then we learned just recently in the Lord's Prayer, right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we understand that as Christians, we do not go around judging or condemning people. No, quite the opposite. We are merciful to others. Why? Because we want mercy from God the Father. We go around forgiving people their sins because we want God to forgive us our sins. This, my friends, is the standard of the kingdom of God. And if you belong to the kingdom of God, this is how you live. Not going around judging, condemning, or judging people's motives and hearts. What you do is you forgive and you show mercy. Now, I've got to point something out to you. God's standard of justice, God's standard of holiness, will not go away. It's always there. It's always with us. The question is this, is how do we deal with this? How can I live my life not being judgmental and not condemning others, and yet, and yet properly deal with sin in my life? or sin in the lives of the people around me. And if you're a parent, you especially understand how important this is. These verses attack judgmental attitudes, but they do not deny that real sins exist, that real sins may well be present. So how then do we deal with this very real sin that is present in our midst? Well, this is why we need to know the full counsel of God, because most people only, they only talk about that first sentence. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. Judge not, lest ye be judged. I learned, that was one of the first things I learned as a young boy when it came to Scripture. How do we deal with sin in our midst? How do we deal with sin in the church? How do we deal with sin in our family? How do we deal with sin in our small group? amongst our friends. Well, there's two things that Jesus wants us to understand as we confront sin, the sin that is amongst us. First of all, we, all, we are all sinners. Jesus wants us to understand that, and you'll see in just a moment. We are all sinners, and we must always be aware of it. I listen to some people talk, and you think they never, ever made a mistake in their life, that they never sinned, that they never fell short, that they never committed a sin. They're, oh, they can tell you all the, 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 the 
the, the lists of, of all the sins of their friends and their family members and their children, their spouse, their ex-husband, their ex-wife. When it comes to themselves, oh, I, I don't think I commit any sin. Or very rare that I'll ever commit a sin. And usually it's, I don't even know I'm committing it. What a nonsense. And Jesus wants us to understand that we are all sinners. And the second thing that Jesus wants us to understand is that we must help each other deal with sin in a spirit of humility. So let's look at this verse here. Um, the Apostle Paul, verse 14, 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So what do we do with this? How do I, how do I function so that I'm not condemning others, so that I'm not looking down on others? Well, here's what Jesus says. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And so there it is. Jesus is clearly telling us. We are sinners, every one of us. Your brother's got a speck in his eye, but you've got a log in your eye. We all have stuff in our eyes all the time, one time or another. Romans 3, verses 10 to 18, describes who we are and why we need Christ. That passage begins as, there's no one righteous, no, not even one. Every single person listening to me right now is not righteous, except that they have the righteousness. If you put your faith in Christ, you have his righteousness. But even then, on our own, we stand alone. We are unrighteous people. You need to understand that. When it comes to sin, we're all the same. Someone once said that the ground at the foot of the cross, it's all level ground. We're all equal. There's nobody better than anybody else. We've all fallen short of God's glory. I, I, would, I would encourage you to read Romans 3, 10 to 18. You'll get a wonderful picture of what we really are and who we really are. So when it comes to sin, we're all the same. It's a matter of specks and logs. Who's got a speck and who's got a log in their eye? It's easy to understand if someone is converted because they understand their capacity for sin. They'll be the first ones to say, oh yeah, I fall short. But thanks be to God, he's given me his spirit who is helping me do better. And I'm growing in the power of God. Hey, Jesus wants us to see our own sin. He wants us to recognize it. He wants us to see the log in our own eye. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, I care very little. 1 Corinthians 4, 3 to 4. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So there it is. Even when you think you're innocent, Paul says, that doesn't make me innocent. You may think that you are without sin, but it, ultimately it is the Lord who judges us. You and I need to understand that about ourselves. Because while sin is all around us, and sin 
is so often at work in us. We need the mercy and the grace of God to help us. And rather than focusing on other people and their sin, Jesus is saying, first, take care of yourself. Make sure that your own life is right with God. Don't go around telling people how, to, uh, how they should live and what they should do. and what. Look at yourself and see where you need to grow. See where you fall short. It's easy to condemn others and say, why aren't you reading your Bible every day? And why aren't you doing your devotions? And why aren't you, why aren't you going to church more often? Why aren't you giving more money? It's not our job to do that. Yes, we encourage each other, and as it says in Romans, we, or in Hebrews, we spur each other on towards love and good deeds. But we don't go around judging or condemning people. No, Paul says, it's the Lord who judges me. And this is a thing across church. We have tried and, and worked very hard at making sure that we've, we are allowing the Spirit of God to work in our church so that there's no one going around judging anybody or condemning anybody. I know that there's people who let you down, and perhaps people in the church who have let you down. But because you understand that you are a sinner, because at times you have a log in your eye, you're going to forgive them and be merciful to them. As we read in Matthew 5, verse 7, and Matthew 6, 14 to 15, we're going to be merciful and we're going to forgive because we need God to forgive us. So do you have a log in your eye today or do you have a speck in your eye? You busy judging people who you think aren't giving enough or not doing enough for the kingdom of God? Look at all I'm doing. How come others aren't doing as much as me? Stop it right now and stop doing that. Because when you do that, you're acting like a Pharisee. So understand then, first of all, you and I are sinners in need of God's grace and mercy. The second thing we need to do is that we do, in fact, actually have to help each other. And, and this is why Jesus says um, in the next verse, verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You notice that that. Jesus tells us that we still need to help each other. We still do need to help our brother to take the speck out of his eye. We do, we do in humility, help our brother or sister who is struggling. But you notice that it is in a spirit of humility and kindness and compassion. You go to help your brother with his problem, with his struggling, by admitting and confessing your own sin. Very important. If you find it easy to tell people where they're going wrong, then I'm pretty sure that you're not doing it the way Jesus is telling you to do it. If you find it easy to judge and condemn, well, then you're being a Pharisee. But Jesus is talking about somebody who, in great humility, confessing, yes, I have a log in my eye, but as soon as I get this log out of my eye, I'm going to help you get the speck out of your eye. Well, that changes everything. Because now we, we recognize that we are dealing with, with fellow sinners. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Together, we help each other. It's a beautiful picture of how God works in the life of the believer.
We must help each other overcome sin. We must spur each other on to love and good deeds. We must take the speck out of our brother's eye, even as we take the log out of our own eye. This calls for humility. This calls for an admission that we too are vulnerable, that we too have had our battles with logs and specks. Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to do that? This calls for a confession that I too am a sinner in need of God's grace. Today, you're struggling with sin. Yesterday, I was struggling with sin. Tomorrow, I may be struggling with sin, but we're going to help each other. We're going to get the speck out of each other's eye. We are not judging or condemning, but we are lovingly helping one another become the people that God wants us to be. It's a beautiful picture here. You know, I, this idea of confessing sin, admitting I'm a sinner, was a relatively new idea for me until I was in, in my late 20s and probably early 30s, and then it grew from there. But I was praying with this friend of mine from the UK, and he began by just uh, by confessing that he was a sinner, desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. And it shocked me because I'd never heard anybody pray like that. Never heard anybody confess that they were wretched in need of God's grace. Hey, have you ever heard that hymn, Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me? Well, this was his language, and it absolutely shocked me. I'd never heard anybody talk like that. I wondered, well, what kind of great crimes or sins has he committed? And over time, I began to recognize that, in fact, all of us have created great, have done great sin and have done great crimes in the sight of God. The, the evidence that you are converted is that you understand that you are a sinner in need of God's grace. And together we come to the foot of the cross and we receive mercy and grace. It, trans, it just transformed my life. In fact, of all the believers that I have fellowshiped with in the UK, every one of them prays like that and will talk about how wretched they are without Christ. Now, you might think, well, that sounds like a horrid, depressing Christianity. Listen, if you think that, then you don't understand Christianity. You don't get it at all. Because those of us who've been converted, who have been delivered of our sin, who, who know our sins are under the blood of Christ, have been washed away, we are the ones that have great joy. And we are able to rejoice in the work that Jesus Christ did at the cross. We rejoice that our sins are washed away. And folks, we will never tire of that theme. We will sing of it, and we will rejoice in it, and we will talk about it, and we will preach about it until Jesus returns. This, my friends, is the great gospel that is ours. It's the good news. Our sins are washed away. And so we don't judge or condemn one another. No, we go together before the cross, before the throne of God, and we ask for his forgiveness, his grace and mercy. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is the gospel. This is the good news. No, we don't judge or condemn. No, we embrace one another and we go to the cross and we receive mercy in our hour of need. We receive grace in our hour of need. 
This is the evidence that you are converted. Talk about it with your family. Fathers, stop pretending that you are perfect and without sin. Talk to your kids about your shortcomings. Talk to them about your failings. Tell them that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. Mothers, do the same thing. You see your daughter's failing. Tell her you failed too. It'll be a game changer. Your children will respond to you because now you are being real. You're not being a hypocrite, an actor. The reason people reject your faith is because you are acting or pretending. Jesus calls us to be real and to confess our sins, to admit that we are in need of his grace. Let me just say this to you in closing. The older I get, the more I reflect on this passage, the more I find I'm self-condemned. There's no way that I could stand before you and pretend to be perfect or pretend that I've got it all together. I struggle with temptation the way everybody else does. But the good news is that I have God's grace. I have his spirit at work within me. And even as I preach to you what you should or should not do, I'm fully aware of my own capacity for sin. And this is why James says to the readers of that epistle, the people who are teachers and preachers, they will be judged more harshly. Because even as I am preaching to you and telling what you should or should not be doing, I'm preaching to myself, and I see where I fall short. But don't get uppity and don't judge me, because you fall short too. You fail too. And you may have a log in your eye, as you're trying to get the speck out of my eye. But the fact of the matter is, is that all of us has junk in our eyes. All of us is desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. And so the older I get, the more I recognize how utterly unqualified I am to preach this gospel of good news. But here I am, Lord, as weak and as frail as I am, I give myself to you, Lord, and I say, Lord, Use me for your glory and honor. And I remember that God used Balaam's donkey to speak to him. And I think if God can use Balaam's donkey, then he can use me. I am, I'm not being dramatic. I, I, I sincerely believe that with all my heart. I'm called to preach the truth, to not judge or condemn, but to point people to Christ and find your righteousness in Jesus. When you put your faith in Christ, then you have his righteousness. And for that, I say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, because I can never do it on my own, and neither can you. You know, David, after he was confronted by Nathan, he wrote a psalm. It's truly one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 51. Really, it's a a psalm of confession, a psalm of repentance, a psalm where he, he cries out to God and he says, God, forgive me my sin. Create in me a clean heart. I would I would encourage you to read Psalm 51, and then I would encourage you to memorize it. I did. It's a psalm that I repeat a lot. David says, I'll just I'm gonna just cut down to verse 10. 
David says in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal heart, a loyal spirit within me. Loyal to God, not loyal to myself. Verse 11, do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And listen to this, verse 13. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Did you catch that? David is saying, before I start taking logs and specks out of other people's eyes, God, deal with me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. And then I will be able to teach others your ways. Then I will be able to help the rebels stop rebelling. Then they will return to you. Parents, I'm going to speak to you right now, especially to you. You want your kids to repent and turn to God? Then you need to confess your sins to your kids. Stop pretending. Stop being an actor. Because they know the truth, even if you don't. We're all so blind to our own sin. Admit. Admit to them. And then you will be able to teach your your. God's ways to your rebellious children, and they will return to God. That's what it says here. Boy, that gives hope, doesn't it? We can help our loved ones, our friends, and our family, our brothers and sisters, our children. But first, it takes you to be humble before God and before men. Isn't that what the prophet said? Micah 6, 8. He's showing you, a man, what the Lord requires of you to love justice and mercy and to walk humbly before God and man. That's what you and I do. And that's when you and I have a testimony, a powerful witness to people around us, starting in our home and to everybody that we reach. We're walking humbly before God and man. We deal with sin, but not as judges but rather as fellow sufferers. May God give you the grace today to live this life that he's called you to live. Father, thank you now for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and strength. Father, help us all understand our great need of you. God, unlike the Pharisees who thought they were righteous and and were perfect in their own eyes and perfect in the eyes of the people around them, God, We know that in our hearts is a propensity to sin, to disobey, to rebel, to turn against you. We know, as the hymn writer said, our hearts are prone to wander, and we feel it and we know it. And so, God, you have given us the church of Jesus Christ where we come together, We encourage each other. We don't condemn or judge each other, but we spur each other on with great love and in great humility. Give us that grace and that strength, Lord God, to love each other this way. And forgive us, we pray, for being critical and judgmental of others. Help us, O God, we pray, to be loving and kind 
and to lovingly restore our brothers and sisters who are struggling. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and live as Jesus has called you to live. Amen.